Hello and welcome to Gender Nebulous Series 2, Episode 2. And we have an amazing guest today. It's the wonderful Nancy Kelly. Hi, Nancy. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. I'm a bit hot. It is a bit hot, isn't it? It's been it is absolutely, a bit hot. It's absolutely raining this afternoon. Um, obviously, Frida, my co-host, is also here. Um, nice to meet you and thank you for taking the time to do it. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Speak to you in the, you know, like this. So, Nancy, you are CEO of Stonewall. Is it is it Stonewall UK or is it Stonewall Europe? Is it the same thing? It's it's the same thing. So we just we just call ourselves Stonewall. Our legal name is Stonewall UK, but we just call ourselves Stonewall. So can we start with you just telling us a bit of kind of background around how it's your dream job? Because I know you've said that in the past on the website, and how you became the CEO of such an amazing organization. So um, my background is in kind of social justice issues, like I've worked for a lot of different campaigning voluntary sector organisations. So kind of Bernardo's and Children's Rights Commissioners and like Refugee Council and kind of worked on poverty issues. So I've always kind of worked in, in human rights and social justice. Um, and then I had a chunk of time doing much more kind of research sort of data driven jobs and I knew that I really wanted to come back and do human rights work again to come back to where I started um, and I'd started looking for jobs and then the, the Stonewall job came up and I didn't think I get, didn't think I'd get it in LGBT charities tend to only recruit from inside the LGBT sector or a lot of them do yeah. um but the opportunity to kind of lead this organization at at this point in time it was just too good to miss. And so I kind of threw my hat into the ring and after many, many rounds mm. of interviews and tests popped out the other end. And it's um it can be very hard. It's not an easy mm. job, but it is an incredible privilege and with the community, particularly the trans community, under attack in the way that it is, it is a privilege to be part of trying to kind of stand up for the mm. human rights of, of trans people and and, mm. and for the whole LGBT community. And things seem to have got like quite intense in the last few years, especially for us as trans people. We recognise that there is a kind of concerted effort to diminish us and link us to all kinds of threats in society. And it feels like we as people say quite a lot, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a repeat of what uh, gay and lesbian people went through in the 60s and 70s and 80s. We've got like uh, people talk about Section 28 a lot in mm -hmm. reference to things that the government are doing now. Do you think some of those are exaggerated? Because I sometimes worry about referring to other people's struggles or because my, my life now is different than it would have been for a gay person mm -hmm. in the 60s. So do you think those are, are fair comparisons? Well, so I guess there's two ways of thinking about it. One is to sort of think, is what's happening right now serious? And the answer to that is, yes, it really is. And it's not just serious here. It's serious in lots of different countries around the world. Um, so you might think there of, of kind of Hungary or you might think of, you know, Uganda or you might think of the USA and what's going on in all of these places in terms of trans rights and LGBT rights more broadly. So, So I think it's it's not at all wrong to be really worried about where we're at as a society when it comes to, particularly in the UK, the rights and the kind of personhood of 
the trans community of, of trans people. In terms of the comparisons, I mean, I, I would sort of tend to the view that comparisons like that are not perfect, but they're instructive. So I can remember those headlines. I turned 50 this year. I was young um, during the during the kind of the height of the HIV crisis in the UK. But I I can remember kind of day in day out headlines about particularly gay men but but also lesbians and you know I grew up with had some friends who had two mums who were at risk of being removed from their mums because their mums were lesbian which happened a lot back then and and one of the things that I feel really strongly is that the same lies were told about um, lesbians and gay men and bi people then as are told about trans people yeah. now. So kind of the idea that we're a threat to children yeah. or that we're indoctrinated in children, the mm. idea that we're dangerous, you know, for women to be around. So many of those, that you know, that we're mentally ill, mm. these sorts of things. So many of like exactly the same mm. lies, exactly the same negative stories are told that I feel for that reason, it is actually quite a, an instructive, quite a useful comparison, not least because there's a lot of people yeah. who are more comfy with transphobia than they are with homophobia. So reminding of that time can yeah. sometimes help. Yeah. So why, why do you think that, you know, the kind of like the support for trans people is so far behind, you know, that it is for other groups? We we seem to be maybe 10, 15 years behind in a lot of, in a lot of cases. So kind of, Seen through a more positive lens, you're not going to get you're not going to get a lot of people saying that. But seen through a, a, a more positive lens, um, the public is dramatically more positive. The general public is dramatically more positive about um, trans people than it was around lesbian and gay. Sorry, my dog's barking. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Than it was about um, lesbian and gay people in the 80s and early 90s, actually. Mm. So, you know, we tend to think because homophobia is is much reduced that it. it kind of has always been like this but actually yeah. the, the general public was very 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 homophobic until quite recently yeah. so the public attitudes are pretty good um what you see happening more i would say is a kind of i would call it like an elite bubble problem you've got a kind of politics and press problem mm. that just obsessively tells these sort of trans hostile stories mm. and that that is that is starting to impact negatively on public opinion yeah I mean, I have noticed myself because obviously I follow politics and I listen to Radio 4 and <laughs> I'm really that boring. But um, you do get these, the, you get politicians asked, being asked questions now that you'd like, can a woman have a penis? And it's reductive yeah. and it reduces people to body parts. And this has happened with our prime minister just this week. And I, I find it really disturbing and it is frightening that somebody of that stature, the, the leader of the country is playing into these I mean, I, I know there's questions to be asked about transgender people and inclusion, but when it's framed in such a way that makes me feel like I'm not a person, I'm a problem. Yep. That's that, I think that's the problem. I think, it, but but how do you think we've got to that point? Do you think it's because of just the press wanting to try and get you know kind of like get one over on a politician by asking a stupid question? I noticed Nick Ferrari has done that quite a lot on LBC. I think, I mean, I would say there's a few, there's a few different things 
going on. So there's like, on the one hand, the process of exiting the EU meant that our mm. conservative government was more reliant on the hard right of its party and the more religious yeah. right of its party than it's been for a long time. So the kind of yeah. the sort of domestic political environment mm. shifted a bit. At the same time, you know, you have a few years back in the US when the evangelical um, religious right loses the fight on marriage equality. It pivots yeah. quite quickly to thinking about kind of being trans hostile as a kind of entry point. Mm. And yeah. you've got to remember, you know, a lot of money comes out of the American religious right, including into Europe. You can look at and the UK, you can look at um uh reports by the global philanthropy partnership for this that track mm -hmm. those big international flows you've got money coming in you've got kind of shift rightwards you've got a media that needs to make money from clicks right mm -hmm. so there's you know yeah, and, and kind of hate cells and all of these things come together but what you can see when you look internationally is that that strategy of like focusing on othering trans people has become a feature of what they call the anti-gender movement which kind yeah. of targets lgbt rights and women's rights all around the world um, it's become a kind of key feature of the anti-gender movement everywhere. In the UK, it's it's very focused on trans people. Um, but in other countries, it's much, much kind of more broad based. I mean, we've seen how, you know, terrible things are getting in the States at the moment with all these anti-trans mm -hmm. laws and how some of those are making their way over here mm -hmm. you know, people are it, traveling aren't they out of the states yep. yeah i mean there's people leaving states like florida you know to, to go to other states where they feel safer you know i my my big fear is that that you know it gets worse and it spreads over here in a much wider way um mm. you know when we talk about funding you know a lot of that money that that is being used by republicans to do those things i feel as though that is kind of based in religious extremism you know the far right and mm -hmm. and it is making its way over here. So organizations like Stonewall, I mean, I hope hopefully we're fighting those somehow. I mean, mm -hmm. can you talk about that a little bit? Is Stonewall yeah. kind of involved in fighting against those, you know, th that that source of money coming in like that? So we work um, in the UK, but we also work internationally. So we work with other LGBT human rights organisations all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and we try and fight get back against that kind of anti-LGBT, anti-rights movement in a few different ways. So outside of the UK, we share kind of intelligence, we share strategies, we, we collaborate with other LGBT mm -hmm. rights organisations and trans rights organisations. We work with kind of the UN systems, the Office of the High Commissioner on Human Rights or the Council of Europe, all the kind of big international rights bodies um, to really um, encourage them in their work, to strengthen the pressure the international community brings to bear on countries yeah. around mm. adhering to human rights. And then here in the UK, obviously, in a way, you know, you can think of Stonewall as the lobbying arm of the LGBT movement. So we work really closely with 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 movement colleagues, yeah. but we do a lot of the kind of parliamentary work and the media work and all of that piece. And and over here, where where we try and place our emphasis when it comes particularly to sort of a trans rights backlash is on protecting and promoting human rights of trans people so my colleague Colin for instance was really influential in getting the gender recognition reform bill passed in Scotland sadly blocked by Westminster mm. um 
we're working really hard to um, discourage the government at the minute from considering changing the Equality Act. Mm. So it kind of operates on lots of different levels. But truthfully, um, I mean, we are, I think, the third biggest LGBT rights organisation in the world. And we're not that big. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I was looking. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was looking for a, like you know what is the what is the Stonewall strap line, and it, I think what it comes down to is LGBTQ human rights part of a global movement for change. Yeah, and you know, it, kind of building that um, world where LGBT people can be free to be themselves. Yeah, and live their lives. I mean, that seems to be like the, the That's core the job. of what you do. Yeah, we're mm. part of a movement. We're not, you know, we're not kind of some giant mm. organization that's doing it all its own. See, we're part of a movement from grassroots yeah. um, to the unions, to all kinds of organizations that want a world where LGBT people can mm. thrive, you know? Yeah, and some of the work you do with the diversity champions and the workplace equality indexes, mm-hmm. I mean, those are really, you know, I mean, I, my company gets involved with those. I mean, it's not not to the level I'd like, but, you know, they, they're getting there. Um, so, you know, we have seen a lot of companies leave. Could you talk about around some of those, some, what you think some of the reasons are, you know, because we've seen organisations like the BBC, and EHRC, right. even House of Commons have left Stonewall's kind of. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, Champions programme. Yeah. So what's all that about? Well, yeah. Well, there's a couple of things for people who don't know that the diversity champions program is a is a kind of membership program that mm. works with workplaces to make them more lgbt inclusive for colleagues and for customers and service users so to make them basically more inclusive and then the workplace equality index is like a bit of an audit of how well people are doing and um, yes, some people have left, but we still work with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of organizations around the UK mm-hmm. and over 200 global organizations. So plenty of people have stayed and plenty of people are joining. Mm-hmm. Um, what we experienced a couple of years ago nearly now is a very coordinated attack on that program. So mm-hmm. um, I think we had had something like 900 Freedom of Information Act requests concerning the Um, diversity champions program and that had been kind of coordinated by um, uh, uh, people who were opposed to our stance on trans rights and trans inclusion that were then passed over to the press and we had this very very sustained period Mm. of press attacks during pride month actually which was a bit weird um well, and, probably not as weird as you think. <laughs> well, it's a funny way to celebrate pride, I always feel, mm-hmm. attacking a large LGBT organisation. Mm-hmm. But that kind of um, was deliberately done to kind of engineer a situation where we um, were seen as politicised or too politicised. Yeah. And so some of those kind of high profile organisations that you're talking about who left the programme, you know, that's the reasoning. And then, of course, um, the mm. press covered them leaving the program, so it became a sort of self-fulfilling yeah. cycle. I did notice yeah. in the press it became this free speech issue. Yeah. But when you look at who is most keen to have that free speech, they never have anything nice to say. You know what I mean? It seems to so be a lot of the organisations leaving seem seem to be somehow related to the government and what the government or certain people within the government were doing at that time and still are. Yeah, you know, I mean. I think it's really people talk about free speech and they talk about free speech sometimes as if you can't have free speech and human rights and human dignity at the same time. And of course you can. You know, one of the things I I quite often point out is that so I'm a lesbian. 
I've spent all of my career apart from when I worked at Stonewall in outside of the LGBT sector. I've worked with plenty of people, typically for religious reasons, who think lesbians are going to go to hell. Mm. And we've rubbed along fine because, do you know what, while while we've been at work, they've not held forth about that with me. Yeah. And we've talked about, you know, the research yeah. report we're writing or the campaign mm. we're running together. So when you're talking about workplace inclusion for trans people, it's no different mm. than when you're talking about, you know, workplace inclusion for a lesbian or for an mm. ace person. It's about understanding that people can have hold whatever beliefs they want and mm. they're entitled to hold those beliefs and they're entitled to express those beliefs but when you're in a workplace and you express them in a way that's harmful to somebody else mm. then that's something that that workplaces should manage mm. so yeah i mean for me simple, you know, that, really that yeah that thing about free speech is okay yeah free speech but you you know it doesn't come without consequences mm. you, know, you have to be if, you, well, if you want your free speech, you have to own the consequences of what you've said too. Exactly. So, yeah, it's like in my place of work, it's like there are people that think, oh, trans women, we dictate in terms, you have to say this, you have to say that. So I have the most fascinating conversations with people that ask me about being trans and it opens up like this whole thing for them where they also, what, what do you do with this situation? What do you do in that situation? It's like, it's just a natural conversation to talk about gender with me because they know I can answer those questions. Mm-hmm. So I, a lot of people in the media, they talk about it as if trans women or, or trans people in general try and shut down a conversation. No, we actually, you know, as long as you're coming at it from good faith, you know, and you, yeah. if you've got a genuine question, because I've been in like training meetings, like diversity meetings and stuff. And then the, the, the person running the class spots me and they said well I think you should come up actually and talk about this Frida because you're the person that's lived this experience and that's how it should work it shouldn't be like oh we've got to all be quiet now because Frida's here <laughs> do you know what I mean I think I think people get yeah. that the wrong they get that the wrong way around don't they I, I, think... I really agree with that and I also think sometimes people who are kind of more hostile to trans people don't get some like very basic stuff like mm. I don't know any trans people people who haven't thought deeply about sex and gender mm. for instance like by definition yeah trans people have spent a lot of time thinking about that and thinking about what it means to mm. them and so the idea that you can't as you say have a like a really complicated individual nuanced conversation with a trans person yeah. about sex and gender is that's a that's a bit of a mistake mm. i think they're pretty much well, it's, it's pretty much the only community you can definitely yeah, have true. that conversation <laughs> with actually yeah, yeah. and then the other situation say, is where where you know trans people are just not included in the conversation whatsoever yeah. you know it's like we're not there we're not in the well, room i mean that happens a lot you, too. you feel like as a as a, especially me because i write about this a lot i've had to become a sports scientist i've had to become a lawyer i've had to look into prisons i've, I've had to teach all me this so all this stuff to myself and learn about it not because i would have needed to know um, in general life but because these things are coming at me I have to work this stuff out and think right so where do I sit within this conversation so we think about this stuff more than anyone you know we think are we a problem is this going to be a problem for me you know what I mean and, and it's this constant kind of paranoia are we getting the, the conversation right but at the end of the day you can't know everything and you know these kind of vexatious kind of points that come up in the media about single sex spaces. I've never had a problem with single sex spaces with any in no, any place I've ever been in. 
Uh, but now I uh, there are young trans girls I know that are saying, oh, I'm really nervous about going out because what if I'm seen somewhere? And I think you should never feel like that because if somebody's aggressive towards you, it doesn't matter what, you know what I mean? It's their problem. It's that they've got a problem with you. And I always try and make those positive messages, even though sometimes it's hard to be positive with the stuff I have to write about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So Stonewall recently had a new um, chairperson, haven't they, Ian Anderson? That's right, yeah. So what, what, and I don't, I'm not sure how long he's been there now. It feels like it's been a few months, if not longer. It is. It's, it's, a, it's about six months, I think, but I'm rubbish at time. So So Ian is the, is the chairperson. That's right. He's chair of our board. Chair of, of the board. Your, yeah, your that's boss. That's right. Chairman yeah. of the board. So I'm just curious as to, you know, somebody at that level who's come in as a new, I don't, I'm not sure where Ian came from, but he's come in as a, as a new chairperson. What are their kind of responsibilities in, in for the overall, you know, Stonewall organisation? Yeah. So the way that all charities work is that kind of it's a bit different to a company. So with a charity, kind of 95% of what happens is um, run by the, the executive. So me, mm -hmm. so me and my yeah. team. And the kind of high level strategy and strategic direction of the organization is done with the approval of your board of trustees. So kind of it's like a governance structure. It looks at our kind of finances. It looks at our is what we're doing in line with our charitable objectives is what we're doing in line with our, our strategy and when every four years or so we do a strategy setting process the board is a big part of that so they're quite um charity boards are about kind of good governance and good management um they're a bit different from a company board where it, they're very a kind of company board people are much more involved in the day-to-day -day. and yeah. so ian's got a big day job he runs a great big public affairs company yeah. and then th this is his time consuming stonewall's his time consuming hobby right so he leaves all the details for you to sort out does he yep <laughs> yeah okay sounds about right um there, there was something else that um I, I really caught my attention when it came out was your interview with um al jazeera Yes. Yourself yeah. and Christine Burns. Mm. I thought yeah. it was great. I watched that. I think I watched it twice. It was so good. I was really surprised that Al Jazeera were that positive and, and did an interview that well. I, I mean, maybe that's my mm. prejudice towards Al Jazeera because I think we're kind of taught to be prejudiced against mm. Al Jazeera mm -hmm. for many reasons. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, it, it, that interview was amazing. And it, the, the topic was, you know, what is behind the rise of transphobia in the UK? I don't know if you remember what you said at the time, but I can't. It's a long time. I'm going to put you on the spot and just ask you if you could just talk about that for. Well, I will. I mean, I think I'll just comment on why it's unusual. You don't very often get two people who agree with each other about trans people's personhood, human rights, etc. One of whom mm. is trans, allowed to speak on the same program with mm -hmm. a non-hostile journalist yeah, that was, that, so I, I think, think that was a shocking I thing think the, the overall experience was quite unusual well, what, for that. what struck me is there was because normally when i've seen things like that there's a they frame it in such a way that right, well, you normally get like here's like four trans anti-trans person people maybe maybe no trans people but this was yeah. the complete opposite is, is a trans person and the, and the ceo of stonewall yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, what's going on so I think like I think we talked a lot about the sorts of things we've touched on already. So, you know, that the country, yeah. you know, our politics generally has become a bit more fractious, a bit more 
kind of right wing rather than center right, that you've got kind of money and ideas that are flowing in from from kind of the the US religious right, hard right. Mm. And then you've got this kind of there was a bit of a powder keg around the initial attempt to reform the Gender Recognition Act in mm. the UK. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I would sort of observe about that, well, two things. First, it wasn't the trans community's priority. Trans community's mm. priority at the time, like now, would have been access to healthcare, access yeah. to good quality housing, kind of protection. Just, it's reflecting how, how many people actually have one because I think it's less than five thousand people in the whole country. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think at the time, and this was before my time at, at Stonewall, but at the time there was an there was a there was a feeling in government as well as as well as in the movement that actually reforming the GRA would be straightforward and was actually a lot more easy than fixing the trans healthcare system, right? Mm. Um, uh, what little did we know? But I think the thing about gender recognition reform is it really enables people who are trans hostile to reduce trans people's rights and personhood to a kind of verbal game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so what is a woman? What does it mean to be recognized as a woman? Can women have a penis? All of that stuff you were you were talking about earlier kind of lends itself to that, as opposed to if you're talking about hate crime or access to Mm. gender affirming healthcare, it's a bit more hard to make that abstract. Well, I was going I was just gonna mention that because they try to there are people without mentioning names to try and make it a philosophical argument like this is about womanhood this is but when you look at the details of their arguments they're actually per, they're perfectly politically posed arguments and they might and it's kind of like academic law where it's like oh yeah they can you know they, they can start make something work on paper but in social reality in the reality that i live in and vicky lives in and you live in as well but it those, those arguments don't work because yeah. because you could you could you could theorize and you could have a create this it's like uh there's a the legal feminist argument that you know we've got to find the problem whereas mm-hmm. they've got to find the problem and then build a law around the problem which doesn't exist yeah <laughs> That's how I, it think, feels. I think it's i think what you're saying has got a lot of truth to it i mean i think that what matters is how people are treated in reality and how mm. trans people are treated in reality i think it matters how safe you were talking about young trans girls earlier and feeling unsafe Mm. in kind of public spaces and maybe kind of just going around their day-to-day life and I can I can understand why well I think I think that matters right for us yeah yeah I mean it's it's you know I I sometimes have said and it is true for me at least I don't I you know I think trans women are women I believe trans women are women that's my truth Mm. that's how I feel um but I don't really care if anybody else believes that I care about people treating trans people including trans women well and with respect and supporting trans people Mm. to be safe in their day-to-day lives so so that very sort of abstract you know what is what is a woman what what makes you a woman what makes me a woman you know how are how exactly are we going to police the toilets right um that very abstracted argument is really toxic and it's Mm. got as you say absolutely nothing to do with the lives we actually live well, I was—I have noticed this on a more personal level because I'm up in Manchester, and mm-hmm. we had the tragic murder of Brian Ajay. Yeah. And they were, I went to the vigil, and 
what I felt there was like all these people come together. It was so overwhelmingly, but they, those those people's concerns are not philosophical. They're about being no, beaten no, up no. on this. They're yeah. concerned about being beaten up on public transport. It's yep. all right to have these lofty ideas of uh, like Jordan Peterson and and break things down into, but but for those people on the street, because because like uh, I volunteer for the LGBT Foundation, yeah, so there were people there who knew of Brian. It, it was a personal thing for them. They knew of her because they followed yeah. her on TikTok. Yeah. So for for them, it's it's not a philosophical argument. It's not, it's a, and it's yeah. it's not philosophical for the thousands and thousands of trans people that are on waiting lists for Mm. five years Mm. long for a first appointment. It's not philosophical for Mm. trans people that are experiencing hate crime. It's like year on year Mm. doubling of hate crime for the last few years. And and, yeah, it's it's about lived reality. yeah, the GRA wouldn't stop anybody getting beaten no. up. So that's no, no, no. that's why that's why you know it, yeah, it's important. You, you, know, you look at the you look at the general kind of hatred that we see on online all the time oh, on gosh. places like Twitter. I mean, it's just it's just never ending. It seems to be getting worse. Well, yeah. I just seems, just you know, this morning, Frida's I mean, just been talking about young trans people afraid, getting more afraid to just live their normal lives. I mean, it, I can you know I'm I'm quite confident in myself. But I can understand someone who's, you know, quite young or just come out. It must be terrifying, terrifying now because yeah. it was terrifying mm. when I did it. And things were a lot better. Mm. I mean, I think what you see on social media generally and kind of Twitter specifically, actually, since it's yeah. new ownership, mm-hmm. is just kind of farming of hate. So mm. you oh, see yeah. Yeah. just incredibly large volumes of kind of, people piling on to anything even vaguely yeah. trans inclusive mm. and you know it, it it and it's relentless and there's kind of lots of bots but you know it's also this kind of big sort of international swarm of people kind of going around just saying toxic horrible horrible stuff and I think that you know I can like I can look at a company that you know puts uh, do you remember when the bless them the women's love the women's institute oh yeah yeah love the women's institute and do you remember when they first put out the the cover the cover with i forget her name but the the kind of i know the one you mean women's institute trans woman cover where where she's like practically holding jam you know it was so wholesome (laughs) and you know it was just like the end of the world had happened on social media i'm like it's Mm. it's wy that was Petra Wenham. She's that's it, yeah. Petra. So yeah. rubbish. Petra and her wife, yeah. But like, just and you, but you can see it in like clockwork. It will be like rah 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 oh, rah yeah. rah rah And and I think the sad thing is, is a lot of organisations back down. What's yeah, great about the WEI is they're just like, no. Yeah, I mean, they've been around so long. They don't. It's care. quite yeah. sad. It's quite sad that you see the comments disabled on a lot of posts because I'd like to interact and say thanks for doing this. You know, mm-hmm. to a lot of small smaller organisations. But it seems to be even, I mean, I can't imagine the kind of stuff Stonewall get on Twitter, but even small organisations like the LGBT Foundation, we did a video just to include, it was called like Including All Women. Mm-hmm. And and they had to take it down because the amount of negativity. I said, no, no, don't ever take things down. Just disable the comments. Yeah. I was like trying to fight for it. But he said, no, we're going to put it up again. I said, if you put it up again, the same thing will happen. But it's like, no, we're not going to stop doing it though, are we? Because if we give up because of these people, we might as well not bother, yeah. you know. I mean, when well, so firstly, the LGBT Foundation is nearly as big as Stonewall, just mm. saying it's not yeah. small. Um, Paul will tell you what well, for I'm, saying it's small. Well, well just <laughs> in, 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 my, in my little part of it in Manchester, I feel like it's a little network. It feels like it's just one office in Manchester. It's probably yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty big org. But anyway, um, 
when we work with organizations or with partners, one of the things we try and talk to them about is understanding that that will happen and understanding how to manage mm. it. Because I think one of the things is if you've not experienced that before, if you've not experienced that pylon, if you've not seen it, mm. it's totally overwhelming. Your comms team goes into panic, you know, it's all kind of klaxons and lights and it's terrifying and it's gross. Mm. Whereas if you go into it knowing there's a lot of organized online hostility around trans people. And what that means is when you put out, you know, a, a, a nice picture of the WEI magazine or whatever, or, you know, a, a Pride Month post that is trans inclusive or whatever, that you are going to experience potentially a pile on. And these are the kind of things that might get said, but actually this is not what the majority of people feel. And here's how you can support your team so they don't panic. And here's mm. how you can just... Mm-hmm. Kind of stand your ground really and and, but, and continue so. to advocate quite, for what you believe in it's quite the smart that we have to do you... that though isn't it Sorry, go on, Sorry. i'm just going to say it's quite because we, we like when they do a new post and there's like we're, when they're doing something new on twitter it's like right we're, we're braced we're ready for, it's like it's like we brace and we go right well we'll get through it but we shouldn't have yep. to do that and no. unfortunately that's just i think it, i think it is a very twitter thing at the moment because yeah yeah it, it definitely the is. mermaids have had yeah. You know, and and some of that was related to LGB Alliance. And I'm sure, you know, Stonewall got a load of that as well. Um, I mean, I'm not asking you to talk about that particular issue, but you know, I, today there was a my company, I'm not gonna say the name of the company, but they they put tried to put tried, tried to put out a, a statement that was in supportive supportive of trans people in the you know in the wake of what the government's trying to do with the removal you know yeah. the, the changing of the definition of um sex and the equality act and they, yeah. they they kind of framed it around this was affecting lgbt people rather than saying it's affecting trans people and non-binary people mm-hmm. so they put out this kind of very bland and mm-hmm. you know not very well written in my opinion statement and they only put it out to the members of the lgbt group within the company they put it out as a like across the board so i'm wondering your organization nancy stonewall do you help organizations like the one i work for to come up with better wording for those kind of things and kind of yeah we do so tell them how to do it in a way that yeah is is kind of the best language to use yeah i mean particularly sometimes with our diversity champions sometimes Mm. actually organizations just reach out to us and say we're really um, we're keen to have a kind of campaign that's really focusing on LGBT people's creativity or LGBT yeah. people's kind of parenthood or whatever. And and can we can we get advice or can we work with you? And so yeah, we try to support people um to firstly to do a good job. Um, but secondly to do something they're happy to stand by. And I think mm. some of that is, I mean, there are so many amazing organizations, including amazing um businesses that really know what they believe in when it comes to human rights and those organizations tend to find it much much easier to just kind of to stand their ground and talk about the things they believe in and be comfortable with it and so I think it's really important for I my view would be it's better for an organization to sort of start small but in a way that's authentic because if they start small but in a way that's authentic 
they're going to stick with what they're saying and then they maybe can build they can build the degree to which they they speak out around these matters um but again it'll be authentic and they'll be confident i think where sometimes things come a bit unstuck is organizations kind of want a big public splash Mm -hmm but they're not quite ready to do that yet. And they haven't maybe done the internal work and then there's a backlash and then everybody panics. And then the chief exec is running around going, how did this get signed off or Mm. what I mean? Yeah. And then I think some of the teams that do that work, yeah, some of the teams that do that work, they probably, they're not familiar with their issues because they're not, you know, they don't deal with it daily themselves. Yeah. Mm. They're kind of, you know, they're putting out messages, but they don't really understand the ins and outs Mm. of all the, yeah you know the details so i think i think they get i think companies like mine although it's a massive company they, they do get a bit nervous when they talk about these issues because they, have to they tell them to talk don't to us. really have much experience with yeah, it yeah of course but and, even, why, and why would they right and why would they true and but yet they're still trying to work their way up the you know the diversity your workplace equality index you know they've come from way down somewhere to in the top 100 now so they are making progress yeah but you know, there are times when I, I wish I could just call up Nancy and have Nancy talk to somebody in the office. Well, you, can, you can call up Nancy and Nancy will talk yeah, to somebody okay. in the I'll office. That's that the answer. Keep that and bear that in mind. Yeah, I'll bear that in mind. And the, the, the other talk that you did more recently was the one, the, the TEDx talk in London about the conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Now, that was, you know, it was it was amazing. I, I have listened Thank to you. it several times. Um how was yeah. it doing that? Because I'm, I'm sure you were a bit nervous doing that. It was absolutely, completely fucking terrifying is how that was. <laughs> so um, quite, I just admit, no, I haven't seen it yet. I was only made aware of it today. Off, yeah. So I'm going to catch up with it tonight. Bless so. your heart for that honesty. Obviously, yeah. I expect you to watch it three times in penance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so um, the fantastic woman called Mariam, who's from TEDx London, reached out and She'd read something that I'd written about trans rights in, I think it was The Guardian. I'd written like an opinion mm. thing and said, we'd love you to come and do a talk. And you and, and kind of said, you can talk about anything you want, basically. And I said, I really want to talk about yeah. um, conversion practices and how they impact on the trans community. Because as you know, and as probably some of the people listening know, that the government for a very long time has been resisting having a ban on conversion practices, but specifically a trans-inclusive ban on conversion yeah. practices. So it was just such a good opportunity to talk specifically about that. When I said yes, I didn't realize you had to memorize it. <laughs> right. You actually memorize the whole you thing. Have to, you have to memorize the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it works. There's no teleprompter. So I was all like, oh, it? It's not a short speech. It's not. It's fifth. They're fifteen. It's like they. they it's like fifteen minutes is about what they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, uh, so then after I realized that, I obviously was terrified. But the team was like super supportive. It's, if, if anyone ever gets a chance to do a talk with them, I would really, really recommend yeah. it. Really, really skilled. And it was such an, mm. it was a real honor to get to stand on stage at Sadler's Wells and speak to that issue. And it also felt like a um, a real, I don't know how to put it, but it's it's kind of a big stage the the sort mm. of tedx stages are are big and big audience it, yeah it's a big audience and i felt so conscious of wanting to do um to do right by trans survivors of conversion practices yeah. um and so you know i worked really really hard at it and it was great i loved it i was i was pleased to have the opportunity to 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 say what i said 
It was. It was really. It was really great. I was gonna, you need to watch yeah. it. I'm going to put you in. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. So I really hate this term conversion therapy because the the word therapy in there just. I mean, it should That's never why we call be... it conversion practices. You see. Yeah. Yeah. I just. I mean, as soon as I see that, I think, gosh, that's just uh, that it's just abuse. Sounds... It's abuse, yeah. and there's loads and loads of yeah. evidence and that a, it can cause a lifelong lot, harm. There's this talk a lot about oh, gender affirming care, but it's like, well, if you're not affirming, what you're doing, you're you're converting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's like the conversation has to come, especially with younger people. I get this a lot that the younger trans like. And in the teens, they're like they they know what they want. They know exactly they're they're telling their parents what they want from a very young age. So by the time they get to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they already along that path. They've done, so, a, they've done a lot of thinking about it. I think one of the things that's like really um, common to a lot of conversion therapy or conversion practices bands around the world is that they use a similar form of language. So they mm. say it's um, it's an attempt to change or suppress someone's mm. gender identity or um, sexual orientation and the reason I think that that's really important is it helps if you think about like trans healthcare and gender affirming healthcare and all of these kind of conversations about what what's appropriate and inappropriate in that space if you're not trying to if, if, if you're trying to change someone if you're trying yeah. to make someone who says they're trans not trans if you've got an outcome in mind yes whether it's making someone cis or making someone trans that's the problem if yeah. you don't have an outcome in mind you're just supporting someone to understand themselves mm. you know including asking them questions about how they understand themselves that's not this, a conversion practice right I'm, that's yeah. that's not it's like really yeah, I was going to say it's really frightening what's happening in America because we've seen attacks on gender clinics and people yep. are making maps of where gender clinics are. And it reminds me of what went on. I mean, it probably still goes on with abortion clinics yep. where yeah, you do and doctors were shot, you know, and people forget this stuff really quickly. That's if true. you if you create a moral plan panic, there are enough people with guns in America. You don't yep. want to create that panic. And I and obviously we have a different it's different here, but you still I mean, I've never seen so much confusion in the press. Even 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 writers that do want to write a balanced article seem to have a both sides approach to something like this. I'm like, yeah. no, there's there's no both sides here. There's these people who hate us. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's really hard to. It's and a I, volume I, problem, right? So you know, mm. the UK press has been writing obsessively about mm. trans people for years now and when when we say obsessively we mean it's not that unusual anymore for there to be more than a thousand articles a month yeah which when you think of how few trans people there are in the uk this is wildly wildly disproportionate i actually did this experiment because i I went onto the daily mail and typed in transgender and i got fifth i think the first 25 articles featured somebody called dylan mulvaney and i'm sure you've heard of them but she's lovely but but the obsession with her is this thing that oh well she she's actually she's at, that's her act you're actually celebrating her act in a way because mm-hmm. she's I mean uh, even though the the article is negative the thing that it's actually picking up on is the entertainment value of it yeah but the problem is they connect those with serious articles so when when there is a something in the gender recognition reform, when there's a mm-hmm. policy being there'll there'll be a Dylan Mulvaney article and people will won't get to see the, the truth of things. Yeah, so unless you remember it was one can of beer, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean one gosh. can of not very good beer. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think yeah, that's I think, true. 
<laughs> or like, I think a lot of the a lot of the big media companies now will have like a whole section on their website that will it'll often be called something like transgender issues, for instance. Mm. Um, and that just shows you the volume of the writing. And I think what yeah. the, and, and the volume of the broadcasting and what that does is it makes it really hard for people to break out of that cycle well, of, oh, we must have someone yeah. that is concerned well, about trans people or mm. we must sort of frame it well, in that way. I got to say something really interesting happened to me because I'd been. Uh, I had been pestering Talk TV and GB News, said this, what you've said here is wrong and I'll prove to you why it's wrong. And I actually spoke to the digital editors and they said, well, do you want to write something for us? And I, had, I thought, oh God, am I sleeping with the enemy? And then I did write something for them and it went out and I thought, oh gosh, bra-. you know, you say brace for the hate. <laughs> but, oh my God, the, the torrent of abuse I got yeah. just for changing their narrative a tiny bit. Yeah. It was just one article and they've asked me to do a couple of other things. But the fact that, I think in that sphere, in that tabloid sphere of like Julia Hartley Brewer, I've been on there and she, I mean, I, I know what I'm getting into when I go on to something like that, but I, I just, it's the social media after. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, because so, yeah, they, they, they don't want you to be on their side. So Frida's been on a lot of kind of, you know, what you, what we would refer to as right-wing TV, mm. um, various shows where, and afterwards the, the pile on, on Twitter is absolutely horrendous. Yeah. I mean, mm. I, I, I don't really have the confidence to go on those shows. Well, and, I, you know, sometimes you think, are you, are you doing the right thing going on there? Because you're basically well, I, sleeping with the enemy while you're doing it. Well, I've been But then the other thing yeah. is, the other side of it is that, you know, you're the, you're the lone trans voice in that hostile environment. And maybe you do make some difference. And mm. what, what do you think about that, Nancy? I mean, going on those kind of horror shows, I call them. Well, I mean... I think I think a few different things. Firstly, I think that yeah. trans people should advocate for themselves in whatever way feels right and empowering mm, to yeah. them, right? I'm like yeah. Yeah, some yeah. random cis woman, so I, I probably shouldn't comment too much. <laughs> um, I do think that the kind of way in which trans people are pushed out of the public conversation is a massive problem. Like I, I've got a I'm lucky enough to be friends with Robin White, who's an um, amazing lawyer. Mm and a discrimination barrister and robin mm. started robin or robin? yeah okay so robin started to do a bit more media work recently mm. and i i love to see robin doing media work because she's just very difficult for trans hostile folks to deal with because she's just very yeah. unreactive I mean, and yeah. super just like yeah. lawyery yeah. um and and i think it's just really important i think it's important that that trans people are given as much space as possible to speak for themselves. And I think at the minute, mm. the big problem is, is it's very rarely given to any trans person unless it is a setup, yeah. unless it is, yeah. or unless well, it is very it's always, hostile. It's framed and yeah. if I, if I can yeah. just speak to that a little bit, because like people have said to me, why are you doing this? You're being set up. But you see, my attitude is always, I'm going in here to ask why they're having this conversation. I'm not here to defend my identity. I'm not there to have a conversation about sports prisons or whatever they've concocted i'm there to say why are you talking about this now what is the motivation and that is the only reason i'm there and they and usually they i can't i don't always win them over but because i'm not biting i'm not i'm not actually going for i'm not trying to prove that the point that the the false point they're trying to make it kind of it it turns the conversation a bit more human because i'm frida i'm a human being then 
And I mean, I think what you're saying about that is also really important, right? So all of the evidence tells us that, like, when we know somebody from a community, it's mm. harder to feel prejudiced against them. Yeah, And that's true of all different kinds of communities. And you can see it in all of the data about attitudes to, to LGBT people, right? Like, if you, yeah. more, more of us you know, the more you like us, basically. Yeah. And, and because the trans community is pretty small, and because the kind of binary trans community is even smaller, so kind of... I think it's zero zero point one percent of the population is is um, is a trans woman or a trans man. So mm-hmm. kind of these are pretty small populations. Small yeah, small mm-hmm. numbers. Not everybody knows a member of the trans community in real life or mm-hmm. knows they know somebody, right? Yeah. And so I think v- visibility is a real double edged sword, yeah. particularly for trans women. I think, but it also means every time somebody gets to hear a, a trans person speak and that trans person is just living their life and speaking their truth in a mm. straightforward way. That's another kind of chip away mm. at transphobia. What, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is like, I've been on those kind of shows where it's just, they've, they've, been, they've become a bit adversarial and I've had to fight my corner a little bit, but I think the producers of those shows and the people working behind the scenes have always said, are you okay? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, there's a different culture behind the screen than there it's is. Like a, it's, it's like a setup. The show itself yeah. is set up, but then the people behind yeah. the scenes are actually helping you. Because you know, I've, I've, I've had producers ring me and said, I'm really sorry about that. And I said, no, it's fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. But but I think that I think that's quite telling about how the culture yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And and um, like when I've, I sometimes say, well, why did I bother doing that? What what have I actually achieved? Have I made have I, have I done anything positive for the community? But actually, I'm not necessarily representing a community. I'm representing just getting in the way of a. a if 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 the conversation was about anything, I think I'd want to challenge it because that's who I am. You know, yeah. I'm quite gobby. <laughs> you know, so and to be so, given an opportunity to be on, you know, on on Rupert Murdoch's platform, I think I would take it. So let, let's talk about Scottish um, GRA reform briefly. Let's do yeah. it. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really happy that they got it through and it, everything was going great. Oh, gosh, we were loving that. And then, and then what happened? Tories came right. along and ruined it all. West, Westminster blocked it. So, I mean, we, I had... This is um, actually unprecedented uh, yeah. action, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it was. the first, it's the first use of... Sex, uh, of um, that section of the Scotland Act, right? So, yeah, so none of us. Thirty-five, wasn't it? Section yeah. thirty-five, yeah. So none of us, none of us, anticipated that. No. Um, I'd gone up to support my colleague. I mean, because it got really nasty. The gr, the the gender recognition yes. reform bill debates at the end, and I was actually on Christmas holiday with my family. My family live up in Whitley Bay, and so mm. I went up to support my colleagues. Actually, I was sat with my colleague Colin and his mum. This is Colin McFarlane. Colin McFarlane, who's director of Stonewall Scotland. Representative for Stonewall. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And you know, it was such an uplifting moment when it passed. Yeah. And there were there were people. Sorry, I'm getting past a note by my youngest. Um, (laughs) there were there were people within the trans community and the wider LGBT community that have been lobbying for like six, seven years. And then we were ecstatic. And we thought, I thought, the government might slow down implementation. You know, Mm. I thought there would be a bit of gumming up the wheels. Yeah, yeah. 
but we yeah. absolutely didn't expect like but an constitutional crisis and an outright block. Yeah, yeah. It was such a shock. Mm-hmm. What came What came to light to me about that when I looked into it is a lot of the vexation, a lot of the people organising against it were even from Scotland. They 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 were people at Westminster lobby groups again, who seemed to have a lot. See, when you look at the you know when they did the the sex matters, I think it was did a uh, the petition. Mm-hmm. If you look at the amount of voting in that, it's all kind of up in Scotland. And I think it was because it was so campaigned against the, yeah. the desert reform. And it, and and they've kind of, they, I mean, it just seemed relentless, the amount of negative news at the minute. Obviously, they had, they had the Isla Bryson case. Yep. And yet, which, despite all of that, that bill mm, still passed with an overwhelming mm, majority and with cross-party support, right? Mm. So I think that's this is where you get into that kind of real kind of looking glass thing about there is mm. the kind of media and politics that sort of churns away constantly around these mm. these sort of slightly transphobic frames. And then there's real life when people have to stand up and vote about whether or not their constituents have a slightly more dignified process of, of amending their birth certificate. Mm. And I think what you what you saw is the Scottish Parliament, you know, voting for change. And it's really it's what was interesting today. I don't know if you've seen it, but TGEU, the European yeah, kind of that, trans yes. um, yeah. movement organization. It's not it's not even a survey. It's all of the it's all of the sort of official statistics from countries that have got legal gender recognition based mm. on on declaration. So self ID, as it gets called. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And what it shows across all of those countries in Europe is, of course, there isn't a problem with fraud. There isn't a problem with gender equality and gender equity. There isn't a problem with safety. You know, mm. more trans people get get a GRC when it's easier and more dignified to get a GRC. Mm. And and that's it. And that's all. So those facts speak for themselves, in they, my opinion. Yeah. And they do tend to concentrate on the transgender children debate when when these things of self ID come up. I think self ID is a bit of a misnomer as a thing because we all self ID, but yep, we're definitely like the, all identifying our own selves to each other. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 when they, I was going to ask. Uh, sorry, I lost my place. There. Do you think they they, they were like when they bring up the children? It's like it. it do you think that is, there is any concern there for the self ID? Because because I sometimes because we've had the thing with the schools uh, today, like Rishi Sunak is like putting out some guidance. Uh, do you do you think that is all just scare stories, or is there some substance to that? Well, I think firstly one of the things I think that goes on with all of these issues is that I think cis people generally find it very hard to imagine themselves into mm. a trans person's existence yes right so and and so when when people think about for instance surgery particularly you will hear people talking about it in a way where you where you kind of listen and you're like well yes of course you don't feel like that about your chest mm. because and they, they kind of project that onto trans yeah, people. Exactly. And so I think the same sort of thing happens with children. You know, I'm a parent, I've got two kids, like a lot of people, not not just parents, like a lot of people, I'm enormously protective of children, particularly mm. my own, obviously. Um, and you can hear people, they sometimes go, Well, you know, my son, 
you know, used to wear a ballet skirt for a bit when he was yeah. four and da, 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 da. And it's like, well, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, that's not the same. And so I think there's a, there's a, the, the first part of that, that kind of focus on children mm. amongst people that aren't deliberately being transphobic. So I guess I'm really talking about why, why mm. do the public get so caught up in that stuff is that I think it's quite hard for, for parents of cis children mm. to imagine having a trans child yeah, without just yeah, going, Oh, yeah. it's like when, when Billy, you know, wore pink that one time. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of what's <laughs> yeah. going on. Um, and I think, but I also think, you know, I think with, with trans children, and I do believe trans children exist as well as children who question their gender. I don't think you miraculously. Well, I was a child once. So... Yes, exactly. We don't mm-hmm. miraculously no. turn eighteen and acquire the ability yeah. to be sort of somehow genuinely trans. Mm-hmm. I think that that like the best people to make decisions about trans children and their healthcare are the children mm. and the people that know them and love them like together as for every other medical decision I don't I don't see it as personally I don't see it as different from all of the other contexts in which children and young people with caregivers with families and on their own where they've got the capacity to do so make decisions about healthcare and the fact that you've got like a whole society sort of peering in on it feels just really disproportionate to me it's quite easy to stir people isn't it with the with those kind of child narratives because because they they use words like mutilation uh, and things like that and so but what it comes down to for me is that I've got an older sister so I just kind of noticed what was affirmed or denied me because of my sex so like the way my sister's needs were met were different than like I had, but I wanted. So I used to try and explain it like that. I don't necessarily didn't I didn't necessarily say I want to be a girl, but I gravitated to the things mm-hmm. my sister was affirmed with, if, you, if that yes. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it's simple things like when I went to school, it was like that I I was taught by nuns, and there was a different entrance. There was a boys' entrance and a girls' entrance, and I yeah. said, well, why can't I go in that way? And they said, well, no, that's where the girls go. I said, yes, that's where I want to go. <laughs> but it's like yeah. simple things like that. And people, because I think it's funny now. I think, cause, but at the time it was probably quite traumatic. I probably buried a lot of that trauma in humour. Yeah. But uh, like when I when when I speak to my mum now, she just calls me a daughter and it's like the most natural. If anybody says to my mum, that's not your daughter, that's your son, she'd go absolutely mad because it disrespects my mum because she knows how happy I am now. Yeah. And it's as yeah. simple as that. Yeah. She knows you. I think mm. I think it's it's really important to sort of hold both things as true. That children mm. are, especially younger children, are on every possible level figuring out who they are. Mm. Like so I think it's really important to sort of I know I know lots of people who came out, for instance, really late in life, came out in terms of their sexual orientation and came out in terms mm. of their gender identity. I know people that have um, identified as cis, then have identified as non-binary, people that have identified as binary trans, and then have sort of changed their understanding and identify. You know, we shouldn't be scared of change. We shouldn't be scared mm. of, of change, including for children. We shouldn't be ch- scared of children exploring who they are and their concept of who they are evolving and changing over time that's Mm. that's real because they're human and and so do adults but the idea that that therefore means that we should somehow 
refuse yeah. children any mm-hmm. space to, to tell us who they are yeah. and to be affirmed in ways that they need. Well, you know, everything is made so high stakes. doesn't matter if you go yeah, through yeah. the girls' entrance. Think, and then you're looking, no? you, you, know, you look at what's being talked about in the press today with Rishi Sunak and, you know, this guidance they're talking about yeah. that's going to force well, teachers I, to tell parents. I mean, the thing I worry about there is what about the kid who's so scared to tell the parents that they tell a teacher in confidence? Yep. And then that yeah, teacher exactly. now has to tell those parents and gets, yeah. you know, probably beaten up by the parents, you know, angry so father or something. When they LGBT homelessness. Well, how do you deal already, with that? Well, so LGBT homelessness is already really high, yeah. right? Amongst mm-hmm. youth. We do not need it to go any higher. The, the way that kind of safeguarding works in a school or in youth settings at the minute is that the, the kind of that child, the best interests of that child are at the heart of decision-making, including about decision-making on disclosure. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's that's correct, yeah. you know. And I think that, that there is no doubt that the right thing for a teacher to do with a child that is coming out to them as trans or is coming out to them as someone that's questioning their gender mm-hmm. is to talk to that child and understand other people at home or in your family mm-hmm. you can talk to. Can I support, you know, so all of that is good practice, right? Yeah. You would just do it Absolutely. as someone that cared about a child, but disclosing without permission carries so many risks. And I think similarly, some of the things they're talking about in terms of, um, I find it really troubling the idea that, that, um, what's being briefed to the press let's see what the policy actually says yeah, yeah. suggests yeah. that um not only children but also teachers will be allowed to kind of misgender children and mm. disrespect their identity yeah we don't and, need any more of that <laughs> but, it, but it's just mm. bullying right it's yeah, bullying yeah. but it, it 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 kind of it kind of makes bullying bullying okay because like i think uh, if you looked at if you looked at that article you might think oh there's this liberal school every school is liberal when they're trying to turn children trans or something the way it's worded no. No. but most no, most schools think. are not the best place really hard to come out if you're lgbtq plus yeah. it's yeah, not yeah. just hard to come out as trans it's hard to come mm. out as a kid right and schools some schools do really good work and some mm-hmm. schools really struggle to keep LGBTQ I think some, plus kids sorry. safe yeah, yeah. i think Absolutely. some parents have noticed the change because i've got a friend who's got two daughters and she says oh they talk about gender all the time now so is, is that a bad thing like i said no it's a good thing because it's good i think we're all gender questioning i think gender questioning is something perhaps everybody has done at some point what does mm-hmm. it mean to be a woman what does it mean to yeah. be a man these are I mean, fundamentals aren't there they? is a really so, good organization called uh, diversity role models which goes mm-hmm. into schools and talks about these issues um yeah, they're I, fantastic i have signed yeah. up to be a role model so i have done that i mean it's it's really rewarding going in mm-hmm. talking to kids and teachers you know obviously mm-hmm. at different levels but mm-hmm. you can see there's a there's a need from teachers to understand things because they really yeah. don't they really don't understand all the issues and when they hear somebody like me who came out late in life and when I explained to them why I couldn't do it when I was younger because yeah. there was nothing there for me yeah. you know it's like I wasn't bullied because I didn't I wasn't out <laughs> the fear <laughs> of being bullied was a bullied was a thing mm. that kept me in the, in the closet yeah yeah I remember being told by a teacher, you know, because they used to do the old dress up thing and you can Mm -hmm. be a princess or whatever. You say, oh, well, if you wear that, you'll get beaten up. I was like, you're not going to stop them beating me up. Yeah. It's like that you shouldn't, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the baseline. Being beaten up should not be the, you know. Right. Let's talk about the Equality Act. 
The definition of sex. Yes. Oh, gosh, not that again. Yeah, that, <laughs> that old. That old chestnut. That old chestnut, yeah. We had the parliamentary debate, didn't we, last week? We did the week. two petitions. The one and I thought that was so... I think there was somebody called Miriam Cates, and mm. she was... Oh, my gosh, it it's awesome. like... It's like listening to evangelical Christians. Do you, you, do you, do you remember the Phelps yeah. family? The Phelps yeah. family. It reminded me of that. It might. Why would you take these people seriously? You know, and but it, they are being listened to, and you know. So, what I was think, your view on that? That debate? I mean, I, I think there was a lot of unpleasant rhetoric in the debate. There was. Um, but that you know. That's a petitions committee debate. That that in itself is not going to change the law. I think mm. more worrying for me is the fact that that our equalities minister, Kemi Badnock, has sought advice from our um, National Human Rights Institution, the EHRC, mm. about whether or not mm. it's beneficial to change the um, the definition of sex in the Equality mm. Act. And the EHRC has said, well, it might be def- beneficial. And what that means is we're in a situation where our National Human Rights Institution is kind mm. of supporting the government to consider making a change that will, fun- will will be a fundamental rolling back of trans people's mm. rights in the UK. Um, so that's one of the things that we will, at Stonewall with the rest of the movement, have to fight very, very hard to prevent. Mm. And I think what you could see in the debate is a few years ago, I think the people who were more trans hostile wouldn't necessarily be as open about mm. I want trans women to not ever be able to go into a women's toilet right mm. it was all back then it was all kind of oh no it's just these sensitive services so violence against women and girls services and what you can see more recently and you did see it in the debate is people saying well yes trans people shouldn't be allowed to just use very basic Mm. um, spaces like changing rooms and bathrooms and no real engagement with how extreme of a position that is and with what that means for trans Mm. people in their day-to-day life and actually what it I mean it's going to be my wife that gets chucked out of toilets not not you two actually Mm. and what it means for people for for women especially who don't who are gender non-conforming or butch or kind of masculine looking in any way. Yeah. And that was quite, that's quite shocking to me that we've got to a point where so many people are happy to say, well, well, yes, you know, yeah, of course, no Mm. trans women should be able to go into a. Well, I mean, it all ties into this nonsense. We keep constantly hearing in the media about trans women and trans biological men and all this, all this kind of rhetoric that's continuously daily basis being thrown at us. And it's all nonsense, right? It's all complete, complete nonsense. I was I was talking to someone who I know personally, and they were kind of saying, "What you know?" Would they were asking me about kind of trans women using um using the toilet, and I was going, "Yeah," and they were like, "So where do you think that a trans woman should go to the toilet?" And I'm like, "Wherever she, wherever she wherever feels she comfortable, my friend. Wherever she wants to go." Yeah. And like for me, I just kind of think. I'm I show off about this a lot because I'm proud. Yeah. I turned 50 this year. I've been around a long time. I'm mm-hmm. a lesbian. I've spent a lot of time in LGBT specific spaces. Like on average, I am sure I have like weed in more toilets with trans women <laughs> than the average cis woman what's, has. What's, yeah. What's you interesting know, to me though, because I come I like my up 
my when I first started coming out into Manchester, it's a very kind of liberal like because because mm-hmm. there's I come from like a queer culture. I used to be mm-hmm. a bit of a drag queen, and everybody out there that there's no male or female toilets. Everybody's walking around naked half the time in some of the clubs I've been in. And I was like, so I've got, I sometimes have to tend for my, like when it, when it comes to debates on TV and stuff like that, and on, on Twitter, I've got to sometimes be the sensible one in the room when I'm not you. really. Cause You're the sensible I just, one? Oh, I'm never the sensible no. one, but because I come from, so I, I <laughs> because because of my sense of humor came out of a mm. kind of catty, queer culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to be careful. I've had to tone police myself quite a lot because sometimes I'm talking to women that don't know anything about that. They don't understand that there is a different language in my queer culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, hundred percent. Got... I mean, I've I've never had any kind of problem being in a toilet with a trans woman. I can't count how many times in a club I've found people shagging in the bathroom <laughs> yeah, yeah. or snorting oh. coke off a toilet seat, which I've always <laughs> just thought is the grimmest thing. Yeah. Like least yeah. clean environment to do that. But that's that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> yeah, I mean but, at least you use the shelf, not the toilet itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. But I think it it's it's become this this thing. And sometimes I talk to sort of to other cis women who don't kind of live in our world, who aren't from a kind of queer background. And and when I say to to the extent that trans women are ever going to wee in toilets next to you, they've been doing it your whole life. Like nothing's changed. Mm. Nothing's changed yeah, about exactly. that. And then people kind of go, oh, yeah. And you go, yeah, nothing. But, but, but you, me- you know, the most stupid thing about all this is how on earth would they even try to enforce this? I mean, it's just ridiculous. I know. I know. Like, like, like what? We're like carrying our birth certificates around. People not- are going to kind of cheek swab us. You know, when I need to go, I need to go. Don't be trying to stop me and cheek swab me at the entrance. Yeah. So, I remember I had a conversation with Stephen Whittle about this, and he said, mm. "Well, he said, well, just ask for the bucket. <laughs> if they won't let you go to the, if they won't let you pay, just ask for the bucket." <laughs> well, we were saying, like, if it came to a situation where you were at work or something, and somebody says, "Oh, you can't use that toilet. I'd have to drive home." Yeah. I'd have to drive home and come back. So if the company's think, okay to let you drive home every couple of hours thing, because you can't, there's like no people, toilet. People have said to me things like, well, why don't you use the disabled toilet? Yeah. I was like, oh, great. Right. So does a disabled person being like, what if they need to go? Are we go- yeah. Is it going to be, a, is it going to be a, an orderly queue of need? Like, is yeah. it like you're less, I'm less of a person than this person. So they go, you know, it's like ridiculous. Well, so, I mean, I think that, that your point about being less of a person for me, I think that, Sometimes when people make these arguments, and I think some people know they're doing it, and I think other people it's genuinely unconscious. Mm. Um, what they can't hear in what they're saying is that they they are very much saying that there is a hierarchy of people. Yeah. They are very much saying mm. that kind of trans people, trans people and particularly wow. trans women can kind of have can only have rights in the space once well, the most trans hostile cis people. Yeah, are comfortable. Well, what, what you know, it's about this. discomfort. You know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, somebody like Maya Forster, uh, she sees me as a problem to be solved, mm-hmm. and that is uh, to me. I I find it very difficult because I've tried to, I tried to be a good faith, maybe understand her arguments, and and on Twitter I say, well, have you you know, but she, no, none of those people are interested in that because what they do, they'll put something out, but they'll let the attack dog followers do the work for them. So while they'll put, while it might seem like they're an organization and they represent something that's you know you know they've got some ideas but the problem is the people that follow them are the worst people on twitter 
and they will attack, attack, attack. And that's the problem. So there's no point really having any kind of discourse with them because it it never really ends well. No. And that's something I'll never learn because I'm, I'm still on Twitter. <laughs> the way I look at toilets is that I think cisgender people need to remember that they, they don't own the toilets. That they're yeah, for somebody, you know. Exactly. <laughs> But we've got this kind of British thing. I think it's, is it a British thing or is it just a kind of it comes out of a Christian kind of shaming culture? Well, if you want to see how toilets are used, go to France, go to Paris. Yeah. I mean, has anybody been on a beach in Europe? People just walk around doing. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine. She goes swimming a lot and she she invited me to come swimming. And it was the first time in my life. I thought, oh, my God. I don't think I'd be welcome in a changing room. So, mm. And she was like, "What the hell? Are you with me?" But I, but because of the because of this debate, because know, of the way this is, I know a lot of people who feel like that. That you that, that and people who I would I'm surprised that they feel like that because, mm. in some ways, that you know they're very cushioned and they you yeah. know they're quite privileged and. Mm. But it's I get it. It's scary, and I th- yeah. and I and I think that. But the, that's well, what that's matters, like people's yeah. day-to-day lives. If you're in a yeah. position where you can't go shopping, you can't do your job, mm-hmm. you can't go out on a Friday night and, and you know, feel, if not perfectly safe, because I don't think any LGBT people ever feel mm-hmm. perfectly safe, but at least confident, mm-hmm. like, in your surroundings, then that is a problem. That is a material problem. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not some kind of... Um, abstract problem about defining words it is it yeah. is a real problem for practical an actual thing. human person mm. yeah well what, whatever they try and do to us they're not going to stop us i can no. guarantee you that well oh, we're not going to we're not i'm not going to stop doing what i, I mean if and nobody's it's not going practical. back in the closet i mean that's what i always say nobody's exactly. going exactly no, trans people aren't going back in the closet any more than than cis lesbians and gays are the yeah. world will just have to get used to all of exactly. us I think that's a brilliant point to finish on. We I don't know if Vicky's got we need any... To talk about, we need to talk oh. about trans in the city quickly. Oh, okay. Well, sorry, Vicky. So, I was, I was Nancy, preempting you. Yeah. So yes. I met you at trans in the city a couple of years ago. Yeah. You were wearing this amazing green dress, I remember, distinctly. Yes. Um, Bright green. It's my favourite colour. Yeah. It, and then I think you were there last year as well. Mm-hmm. And we had a discussion afterwards in the bar. I think I was sober. I can't remember. But, <laughs> It's always it's always great to see you, Stonewall, represented at Trans in the City events because that gives me a lot of hope in my heart because I know there's a huge organisation there that, you know, Trans in the City has brought along two supporters, basically. I mean, and it's it's great to see that. So thank you for I being mean, there. I, Trans in the City and everyone in the team Amazing, incredible work really incredible work and and really support big organizations to think about trans inclusion mm-hmm. in a very human and in a very deep way so I, I i love what trans in the city do but i think it's also just that it is a movement right like yeah. trans in the city are partners in the movement you know transactual are partners in the movement trans safety mm-hmm. network you know yeah, there are trans so safety network we all have favorites that's one of mine but but so but so there are all of these incredible Mm. um community organizations doing great work there are Mm. 
Um, mm. Some of them are trans-Pacific, some of them are, are LGBT. You know, there are all of these organisations kind of within the kind of voluntary sector doing great work. And we all make the change together, right? I'm so, so glad you mentioned Trans Safety Network because the work Jess and Mallory do yeah, is amazing. And, and, and their yeah. team. I mean, it's, yeah. and they don't get a lot of funding. I mean, I try and help, we try and help send them a few quid here and there. <laughs> so no, they yeah, do thanks, incredible thanks work. Thanks for mentioning the grassroots. Always, we're actually, we've got a, we've got a, doing some work in partnership about yeah. online hate with Trans Safety Network. Yeah, the that's, br- that's brilliant. Yeah. Thank so I was you. down in Chippen and Pride this weekend. And yes. Trans in the City were there. Yeah. They were doing a speaker's stage. There were some amazing speakers there. Uh, Lord Michael Cashman was there. Yeah. With He also did a book signing, so that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, Lisa his Power. Book, Sorry? <laughs> Flogging his book. He was flogging his book as well. Yeah. Good. Um, nothing wrong with that. So, I mean, Lisa Lisa Power and Michael Cashman, yeah. you know, they both spoke about Stonewall and the yeah. history, you know, how it all started and but how they were both involved with it. Really interesting. Um, you know, I mean, that's that's quite a few, a few years ago and compared to now, you know, the organisation has grown to something much bigger. Um and then there was Ian Watkins, H mm-hmm. from Steps. He was there. He mm-hmm. was so funny, making everybody dance. He was. He was really entertaining. And we also had uh, Peter Tatchell yeah. and Linda Riley. I'll tell you, the lineup was that's, that's amazing. amazing. This the the that's tour the Manchester Pride. I came out of there feeling so kind of pumped up and ready to go. And then we had a podcast with you today. I'm thinking, wow, I'm not going to get another week like this. <laughs> There you go. I mean, like Lisa and Michael, so they're two of Stonewall's founders, and they're both people that are hugely active in the movement still, right? So I work closely yeah. with with yeah. Lisa and Michael. Michael is an incredible advocate for LGBT rights in the House of Lords. Lisa is still massively involved, like queer museum, HIV organizing. They are absolute giants. And of course, Peter and the, the Gay Liberation Front crew, yeah. uh, you know, the mm. these are people that have done incredible work for decades and decades and I think Mm. especially kind of I mean I feel so privileged to get to work with with both Lisa and Michael Mm. and I and one of the things that really strikes me about them and I don't know if you thought this is that they they've not got any ego right (laughs) when I first met them and I was like hello founders and what is your advice for me I didn't quite say it like that (laughs) you know I was a bit like a bit starstruck and you know, they both come from this just completely generous place of like you, you know, we're all part of a movement and you're, you're, you know, you're t- taking the organization forward now. So I wish I was at Chippen and Pride now. It was great. I mean, well, I'm jealous. Yeah, I wasn't Tatchell's there. speech. I mean, he, he, he's such a kind of powerful speech and he's got this really loud voice. And when he's talking, it feels like he's talking directly to you. Yeah. And, he, and his he was also being very kind of humble with it. He's saying, you know, it's not about me. It's about you and us I'll, I'll, working together. You know, that's what I like about Peter. He puts he, he has put himself, himself in the firing the line. line. He has walked into the fire a lot he of has. times and he's done the kind of, you know, the kind of things that just stop oil and uh, extinction rebellion. I mean, not quite to that, the same well, he was talking about methodology, but what he has put President Mugabe and where he, you know, the security guards he did a citizen arrest, citizen's citizen arrest on yeah. Mugabe, didn't he? Incredible. Wow, yes. So, so yeah, maybe I should, in the I city. should attempt something like that in the near future. Well, so, I mean, when you talk <laughs> about movements, right, there's different ways of working, you know, and Stonewall was set up 
to kind of talk to politicians and try and talk to the mainstream, basically. That's what we were set yeah. up for. Um, and GLF was always the counterpoint. Gay Liberation yeah. Front was always yeah. the counterpoint, you know, gluing itself to things. But they always worked together behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, direct action, you know, I go to protests. I don't glue myself to things anymore. Um, maybe when I'm in a different job in the future. But, you know, <laughs> but direct action and protesting mm. and community organizing are every bit as much of the picture of LGBTQ plus change mm. as yeah. organizations that are like funded organizations are, you know? Yeah. So activ yeah. activism and its effectivity, what, what, what was your kind of favorite activism, you know, because <laughs> the way I look at it is that if you're going to do something, make sure it's effective. Yeah. Uh, Peter was talking about, you know, we a lot of things that he does, he, he makes sure that he's kind of okay legally and yes. that it's non-violent, but he also makes sure that it's going to be on TV. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So, you know. So I kind of think if there was an, if there was an answer for all circumstances, we'd have had this sorted a long time ago. <laughs> so like if, if this is, this is the most effective way of doing activism. What I do think is, is that when, different forms of pressure come to bear at the same time that is when the most potential for change often happens mm -hmm. and there's some parts of that pressure you can't control because they're about events that happen in the world and there's some there's some parts of that pressure that you can be part of and you can be the kind mm -hmm. of very behind the scenes person or you can be somewhere in the middle like Stonewall is so we're very public and we're very visible but we also are kind of quite mainstream and you can be you know the person kind of organizing a direct action or you can be just the people showing up at vigils and prides and it's not always to me, I've you know I've been doing kind of campaigns type work and policy type work for a long long time. It's not always obvious what's going to be the last the last piece that that mm. that kind that, of flips the yeah, switch that yeah. does it. Mm -hmm. And I think so. I'm really in favour of like collaborating across all of those spaces and talking across all of those spaces mm. think, uh, so that you feel it out together. Yeah. yeah, for me, it's for me, my activism has been going into the media mm -hmm. and uh, and obviously I've picked some quite hostile places to be in. But I mm -hmm. think I kind of like the sparks that fly off that sometimes because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it does get people's attention. It does like because like, I, 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 I got invited to go on podcasts sometimes where everybody just kind of sits in agreement and mm -hmm. nods along. Mm -hmm. and I don't, that's boring. Uh, but I, I do like to have like a sensible discussion sometimes. But I think if you sometimes if you go on those things, like I was on James Whale's show the other night. To me, that's just a comedy thing. And, he, and James yeah. Whale knows exactly the game he's playing. But I managed to win them over. You know, I managed to change the story, the, the, the narrative, mm. because <laughs> it was quite funny. James left and then his other presenters came back. <laughs> so, so Frida and I were thinking of buying a tank Um Driving it down to Tustin Street yeah. and then spraying 55 Tustin Street with rainbow colours. I mean, yeah, we're going to try to can't have too much, can't have too much yeah. rainbow in Pride Month, I always feel. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of an extreme thing to do. And I don't know, but if you could afford to hire a tank, but, yeah. if I could afford to hire a tank, I'd probably just do something more fun than that. <laughs> so, in the, in the remaining minutes we have, then, Nancy, mm -hmm. I, I guess the final thing we'd ask you is what would be your message to the trans community and all of what we've just discussed? 
Gosh. So um putting you on the spot now. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, so if you are a trans person and you are living your life and you are having a good time and you are um feeling positive about yourself, then that's good. Like, don't feel like you have to do more than that. You know, that, I think there's this huge pressure to kind of do more, but that's great, actually. And that is, you know, queer joy, trans joy is activism is powerful and you know so so keep doing that right that's enough and I think if like if you want to do more and get involved more then there are loads of amazing organizations and community organizations that you can get involved in but actually living your best life or just living a happy life is is a really powerful form of resistance right now. And it's it's okay to expect cis people to pick up a bit of the slack. I think cis people need to put a bit more work in, frankly. Mm, we need a big applause uh, sound effect now. <laughs> okay, have you got it? <laughs> thank you, Nancy. Oh, so thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Today. No, no, it's been you, lovely. I, just, I sent you that cheeky message on Twitter. She'll not reply to me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. saying, Frida, she will reply. Oh, She's great. She's going to reply. And you did. So that was it. <laughs> but I was, I was a bit set back because we asked Kim Petrus and she said no. No, still waiting for Kim Petrus and Sam so, Smith. <laughs> Nancy, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on and doing you. this, spending some time with okay. us. Um, would you like to do the little song with us at the end? Yeah, how does it go? This is, this is the um, don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> no, we can do, we go. Don't so Frida's going to lead us, and we're going to we we have to sing along. It's very be okay. Short. Be in the and music the words teacher. are don't forget to subscribe. That's all. Okay. I'm going to give it a go. go it on, just Frida, don't, don't forget to subscribe. Right. Okay. So on three, yep. one, two, three. Don't, don't forget, forget to, subscribe. to subscribe. Oh my God, that's the best one we've we done. We almost yet. got it in June then. That's <laughs> <laughs> in a, this is, I think that was the best one we've done. That was. It was. Yeah. There you go. You should do, always do the song. <laughs> always do the song at the end. Yes. Thank you. So for anybody who's watching, listening, um, thank you so much. And yeah, don't forget to subscribe. Come back, listen to us again. And thank you, Nancy, for coming on, being an amazing guest that you are. If you want to come back and talk about anything else, absolutely welcome. No thank problem. You. Thank you so okay. much. Bye for now. I'll sign us off there. Tatty bye. <laughs>